Welcome to my greatest imagination podcast. I am the co-host Josh Lamar Morse III. I have a star guest, John Wayne S. III. He is a producer, writer of film and television. John Wayne S. III released film December 1st called Ebony Hustle. And I'd like to welcome you, John Wayne S. III, to my Greatest Imagination podcast. It is an honor and a privilege to have you on. The topic today is what it takes to become a producer, writer of film on TV. First question, tell me and listeners, what's your story? Okay, well, thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Every time someone uh, invites me to talk, I'm always honored and privileged that they took that time out and decided to work with me. So what does it take to be a television film producer? That is a very heavy question. Um, but a little bit about me. I, although I live in uh, the great state of Texas, I'm originally from Chicago. I came here about seven and 18 years ago to work on a, a series for uh, for Fox, a courtroom show. And after about uh, a couple of cycles, I realized that I didn't want to be cold anymore. So I never went back to Chicago. I love Chicago, but I just don't like being cold. Okay. Um, I started off, I didn't go to film school. Um, I was a, a pre-med major. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a gerontologist. I wanted to be an old folks doctor. And that summer before figuring out what medical school I was going to go to, this production manager came to me and she said that I had left a message on the answer machine to work on an indie film. And I was like, no, I didn't. She's like, yes, I did. And at the time I was a... Um, manager at a parking garage and I just lost my job. Excuse me. Oh, wow. So uh, she said it for a a second assistant director's position. I went in, I figured, you know, what I got to lose, you know, it sounds interesting. I went in with a suit in town. I was all dressed up and excited. And about five minutes into it, he realized that the first director realized I couldn't help him do nothing because I knew nothing about (laughs) production. And so a week later, she called me back and said, Hey, I can't give you that job, but I do have a production assistance job in the uh, art department. The guy that we hired does not, he's from Canada, didn't have a driver's license. Well, truth be told, my license was suspended at the time, but I said yes. Okay. Uh, they were working like 16, uh, six days a week, uh, 16 hours a day for like six weeks straight. And the pay was $50 a week. The movie was called. Uh, uh, every time I, I say that, I think myself, I work, I went and worked for $50 a week, but you know, I didn't know. And I figured, you know, what I really had to lose. The movie I worked on was called Scenes for the Soul. It was director George Tillman's first film out of film school. George Tillman went on to do Men of Honor, the notorious movie, all the barbershop movies. He went on to do some really big things, uh, Soul Food. Uh, but this is his first film out of, of film school. I didn't know who he was from anybody else. It's just the universe kind of directed me into that particular place. Okay. Um, after I worked on that, uh, I met this guy who worked on the movie too, who went, didn't go to film school. He went to community workshop for directing. And during that time, if you wanted a music video done, you either went to New York or LA. There was nobody in the middle of the country doing music videos, you know? And so we started to, you know, cause there were people, there was people wanted music videos done, but they either had to go to one of the coasts to do it. So we start, uh, we start doing music videos in Chicago. And now this is, 
I, I'm a film guy. I come from actually um, using a film calendar, uh, camera, getting film stock, and the process of, uh, of uh, processing and developing film. That's that's where I come from. Things have gotten a lot easier now. People shoot, uh, they shoot big budget stuff on digital stuff all the time. But what, when I came up, we were actually physically shooting upon you know on film. I think the process obviously is to speed up because of, you know it's just cheaper to do it that way. But I think sometimes the whole the respect of filmmaking gets lost when, when we lose that because now you know you go edit something you can just put filters on stuff you can you know you don't really have to try to figure out some programs even the ones you have on your phone if you edit something for social media it'll pretty much do all the editing for you it'll sync up to the music it do all those things back then you that would, you had to really know what you wanted to do you had to really understand how you wanted something to look and be very clear about communicating how that how that looks. Um, so after I did music videos for a while, we did some music videos for this one uh, producer named Steve Hurley. Steve Hurley uh, is a, was a big, at the time, was a big a house producer in Chicago. And what most people know him for, he did all the old school, new school music for Tom Jordan Morning Show. So in the morning time, he'd do the, he'd do the mix of him. And that's what most, most people know him about. But Steve was working everybody from Madonna to Michael Jackson. He's worked with some really big names. And he was mm. starting a, a label and a management company. And so I initially went on there to do uh, be a publicist. And I didn't, I remember when we had the conversation about it, and I was like, I really don't you know, know exactly what I need to do. Maybe I should just kind of stay a little bit until you get somebody. And he's like, you know what, I think you can do this. And I end up staying in three years and also become the director of international A&R, running his label uh, artist in the UK. And in Japan, so I was instrumented on getting bringing them back into the UK market, getting remixes and productions in those particular markets. So, it, it, you know, in my career, a lot of things have happened to me. I just happen to be in the right place, and I, I have a lot of tenacity of just trying to figure things out. I'm gonna figure out how we're gonna do this. I'm just going to push forward because the worst thing, in my opinion, that anybody can say or do is just no. If the most thing you can say no to somebody, then what do I have to lose of even asking somebody or even just trying to do something? Right. Okay. My second question, what are some of the mistakes you made on your journey? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. I have made a lot of mistakes. A lot of it has to do with the fact that I just really didn't know, especially not having a production background, not having a film background. So a lot of mistakes I didn't know. Uh, misdirected, you know, energy. When you're young, you have all this misdirected energy about what you think you should do. You tend to work on stuff that's counterproductive to where you're trying to go. You can't really see it at the time. I'm, I'm gonna give you an example. Like, I've done about 200 music videos in my career, and most wow. of them are urban music videos. Right. And um, I really would have liked to have done some uh, rock videos, maybe some country, a variety of different things. But when I was doing music videos. The labels wouldn't let me do it because they like, well, are you the guy who does all those urban videos? And I was like, well, I mean, I, I, I can do other stuff, but they put me that put you in the box. And if you don't really try to figure out a way to get out of the box, that's where you get stuck. at. And sometimes people get they get stuck in either doing music videos or only doing commercials because they don't know how to get out of the box. I made lots of mistakes because I really didn't have any mentor. That's why it's really important to me that I do mentor uh, other filmmakers, particularly filmmakers of color, so they won't get stuck in those moments where they don't sure if they're making the right decision or going into certain courses. Or even just sometimes you just need somebody to just kind of like have those conversations so somebody can say, dude, that, that don't 
that don't do that. <laughs> but if you don't have nobody to kind of feed off of and get feedback from, then you tend to making a lot of mistakes that you really uh, you, you shouldn't do. It's very important, especially when you're doing any particular project, that you understand the people that you're partnering with. When you go to get investors or partners or other people to work with, you have to make sure that the people that you are working with are people that you are all both on the same page. You're not going to know somebody 100%, but at least that you feel like if when it gets bad or it gets difficult, they're not just going to jump and run away. That is like really important because like when you get a partner, it's in some essence, it's like a marriage, you know, is this marriage going to sustain the period of time of why you work on this project until where you you know have to get it done. And if you feel at some point that they're either going to separate, they're going to be, you know, lost in the process or they're going to want to get a divorce from you. Then you really need to kind of ask those questions up front, even if they're painful, even if it's somebody who has the money and you're like, I really want to do this. But you already kind of see that they're kind of flighty or you're not going to you don't feel like they're going to do what they have to do. It is probably best for you not to partner with them to do one. But that comes from having somebody that you can kind of really talk to to say, hey, what do you think about this? And one thing that I have learned in just business life and personal life, if people don't know what you're trying to do, that they cannot help you. You have to be verbalize what you're trying to do. You have to verbalize to people. A lot of times there are times where I get stuck. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I go and talk to somebody. And it's like, hey, maybe you should talk to this person. I didn't even think about talking to this person. I didn't even think about going this route. So it's very important that you do find somebody that you can lead. They don't always have to be filmmakers. They could be somebody in your family that feels like they, they're really supporting you. or could be a really close friend. Somebody who is going to bring some insight into your situation that you wouldn't have had before. Right. My question is, what are your requirements to mentor? A lot of the time it has to like to do, my thing is always about pushing the thing forward. I, I'll almost, for the most part, if I have the time, talk to anybody who asks me questions or everything, if I have time to ask the questions. So a lot of times I look for uh, filmmakers who have had, uh, they've done some music videos, some commercials. They, they have a body of work, but they just having that problem of just transition to the next level. What What is the next thing? How do I break out of this box? When I've done music videos, I've done so many music videos, I wanted to do commercials. And I went to the agency to try to do commercials. They told me that music video directors can't do commercials because music videos are three minutes long. They don't have to really make any sense. And then commercials are 30 seconds, 30, 60 seconds. So I said, okay. So I had to go out and convince people to let me do commercials for them. And once I did commercials, they let me do the, the agency commercials. After I did the agency commercials and I wanted to do features, they told me that you only you only have done uh, music videos and commercials, and uh, so you don't have any uh, narrative that's really long that we can kind of see that you can see past the three minute point of view. And then also too, if you want to get institutional finance, you got to get completion bond. And the only way you get completion bond, you've got to actually done a, a, a film before. So it's kind of a catch twenty two. So the system is set up to really not to to elevate people. It's 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 really set, in my opinion, to get people to really try to think out of the box and the opportunities are there, but what can you do to get yourself out of this box? What is, what can you do to, to think outside? One of the things I, I tried to do, especially on one of my first features, I, I've done a lot of other features, uh, directed some other projects besides the ones that you can now just Google and get. But I come from the times where you, you do a movie and you put it on DVD and you have to be selling to everybody, you know? So I, that's where I got really my start in doing it in tour. I directed um, uh, this movie called Red All Over, and that's, that one is pretty much you can just Google and, you know, get it everywhere. Um, 
but before then, it was just a matter of just doing stuff and putting it on DVD and then going and, you know, tri and trying to get people to buy it at mom and pops or just, you know, general people uh, to buy it uh, wherever you might be. Okay. Next question. What influenced you to become a producer, writer of film? Uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, doing this interview on the East Coast, and this lady asked me, why was I a filmmaker? And for the most part, I usually have a really canned response of how to respond to that. But for some reason, the universe put something on my heart that was different. And I told that lady, because I want to live forever. And through my work, I will live forever. Every time somebody, yes. a new fan is created every single day. And every, as long as my things are out in the ether, out into the universe, that people will be, have the opportunity to see it. Also, I feel like I have something to say. You know, when I leave this earth, I want to at least feel like somebody has got some insight. They've gotten something from what I said or done that they can go back. I look at old movies all the time and I have to think that this is a slice in this person's life. The person's thinking, even from the actors to the technicians behind the scene, they're no longer with us. But their work is here and will stay forever. We can Legacy. continue to look at that. So I want to be able to create content, media, that people that can stand the test of time. That people can go, they don't always have to like everything I do, but at least they can go back to it and say, hey, that movie was done by John Wayne. You know, that I see some things I like, see some things I like, but it could be a discussion instead of just some guy that just didn't really contribute to the universe. Right. Next question. What do you enjoy about producing and filmmaking most of you know what a lot of my time i'm gonna say 80 percent of my time is dealt with uh computer paperwork and things like that a, only a small percent of the time actually is actually a shooting so as a producer i enjoy the actual deal and putting things together I enjoy that. I enjoy the, the the idea of I can come up with an idea or concept and I can bring it to to fruition and, and create it. So it's like I'm, I'm birthing a child. So I come up with an idea. I'm able to maneuver the places of getting it written to getting it cast locations and all those particular things, working deals around people, product placement and all these things. And then actually sit on the set. And then I see people say the words that I wrote. That is, that's very endearing, you know. And I also believe in the concept of uh, collaboration. Filmmaking is not an individual process. You, you, I can't do it by myself. So I rely heavy on uh, on people that I work with. My writing partners, uh, Seth Black, my producing partner, Kathy Sapp, and uh, Frank Overton, and even some of the people who come who come to work with me on certain projects that. Uh, like, for example, with Ebony Hustle, Ebony Hustle is about an extra returns private investigator. When we had came up with that concept and I and, and the distributor approved everything we we're going to do, I went to my producer, by Kathy, and was like, I don't know anything about strippers. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't even know any strippers. And she, she paused for a second. She said, I know somebody who does. I know somebody who was a stripper. I'm like, really? We've never had that conversation before. It's like, dude. So she introduced me to this woman named uh, Nikia, uh, Nikia Cooper. N Nikia is the uh, the president of the Houston Black Journalists Association. She has a very extensive career, but I would have known that she was a stripper back in the day. And so she, I connected with her. We had a really great conversation. She brought so much insight onto 
what I was doing because there's some just little small things about I can write characters from what I think and what I believe. But when somebody gives you that insight into what's really happening or what how the process of what they're thinking, it, it brings a total different dimension to it. So filmmaking is a cooperative process. I need other people to to connect with to actually make things happen. Great. Last question. Is there anything you want to share with me and listeners? And thank you for coming on. It is an honor and a privilege to have you on as my guest. Well, as always, I obviously I I don't create tent, uh, content in a bubble. I want people to actually look at the things that I do. So the two two projects that I really kind of uh, encourage people to look at is obviously Red All Over. Red All Over is about uh, a film about it. It's about gun violence. It's both shot sides of the uh, gun violence issue. A lot of times when when you see a news blur about someone getting shot to work, especially a young person, people automatically kind of go to the person who did the shooting as being like this evil person, especially if they're young. But most people, even young people, they don't just get up and decide that they're going to shoot somebody. So what's the backstory? How did they get the gun? Why was it in this place? What was the motivating things that come with that? Uh, and then also think about the other side of that, the young girl or the person who gets shot. Why were they there? What, what got them to be in this particular place to where, you know, the universe kind of intersected with this person? So the tagline to that movie is that uh, uh, before you choose a side, understand both. So I want I tried to tell both sides of the story of how those things and those universes kind of collided with each other. Uh, Ebony Hustle, as I stated before, is an extra returns private investigator. It's about a young woman who is it's an ex stripper. She's not being a stripper anymore. So now what she does, when people have workers' comp or disability claims, they send her to go and verify that this person actually has a legitimate claim. In this particular instance, a woman from the neighborhood comes to her and said, hey, I need your help. My 16-year-old daughter went to this concert for this guy named Caleb Truth and uh, a couple of months ago, and she never came back. Caleb is an ex-gangster rapper turned uh, pastor. He is like a mix between R. Kelly and Kanye West. He has a God complex, but he likes young girls. That's not a very good <laughs> combination. So Ebony's initial response is, I don't, I can't, I don't do missing kids. But through a series of events, she goes and she helps the woman uh, bring, bring her daughter back. You know, so those are two very different type of movies. But I like doing things that are, have social issues attached to it. Both of those things, like uh, right now, just like with the last week or two, um, read all over the streaming on Peacock. It's available in a whole bunch of different places, but it's streaming now on Peacock. Uh, you can get it on Amazon to be pretty much, if you just Google read all over, you can pretty much see all the places it's at. Uh, Ebony Hustle is streaming on Amazon to be in a variety of different. If you Google that one too, you pretty much can get everywhere. So I want people to actually go look at you know my films. I love comments. I love critique. I want to hear what people have to say about it. And uh, I'm assuming that when would this episode come out? Today. Oh, it's going to come out today. Okay. Yes. Uh, so I have a, two other projects that I'm not going to say anything about because they're not going to announce it until later. But if people go to my social media feeds, my social media across all feeds is John Wayne S I I I. Every single platform is the exact same thing. Or they can look up London Town Pictures, L-O-N-D-Y-N Town Pictures, and that's pretty much the same across multiple platforms. So if they connect to our website, which is LondonTownPictures.com, or they go to 
even the website for ebonyhustle.com or redalloverfilm.com. They should be more than ways for them to connect and see the things that we're doing. Thank you again, John Wayne. The topic today, what it takes to become a producer, writer of film on TV at My Greatest Imagination Podcast. Thank you, listeners. Check me out on Apple or Spotify.